to this week's Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. I am David Freezer, and we are speaking to you after another positive result for Norwich City 2 2 home draw with Arsenal. Uh, not bad at all. And I am alongside our group football editor Paddy Davitt, and we'll, still be, uh, we'll soon be joined by our colleague Connor Southwell, who's just finishing off a bit of work, slightly unusual working weekend for us with a 2 pm kickoff on a Sunday. So, Pad. As you're the only other man in the room, I will come to you first. <laughs> uh, how positive do you uh, feel that performance and that result were for Norwich? Before we get into that, Dave, I just want to point it out in the same vibe we started last week's pod after uh, at Leicester Forest East after Everton. <laughs> yeah. Again, Tony Frussell, our esteemed colleague, not with us, still in Australia, sending uh, pictures of blue sky and beaches on his Instagram account. <laughs> and lo and behold, Norwich get another positive result, so... The threat looks like it's going to come to pass. You know, if Norwich continues to pick up positive results in his absence, he might need alternative employment. So, Russell, stay in Australia. That's the message Indeed. from everyone. <laughs> <laughs> On many levels, yeah. No, 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 we love him really. But, uh, yeah, no, to, to more pressing matters, very positive, yeah, very positive. OK, they got pegged back twice. We'll get into the nitty-gritty of it, but... Talking about Everton on a serious point, to to back that up was the most important thing, I think, um, given what has gone on with Arsenal on the eve of it, and you knew they would come with a renewed sense of purpose. They're obviously got very good players, but they look like players who wanted to put a shift in today at Gower Road. And with all of those factors, really, really pleasing that not only did they deserve a point, they probably, as Daniel Farker said after the game, deserved all three, certainly. Um, created enough chances to have won the game um, and it just feels like yeah that's two unbeaten now small acorns but uh, it was more than for me the manner of the performance I thought they were good again uh, both without and with the ball and uh, and it bodes well for what's coming up now which is a congested festive period starting with a mammoth game at Southampton yeah, this was the first of nine games in six weeks, wasn't it? So uh, things moving in the right, the right direction. Only one change to the team today. Alex Tessi missing out through personal reasons. Uh, Ibrahim Amadou coming in for his fi- first midfield chance in the Premier League. And uh, I've done him for the player watch, so by all means head over to pinkland.com if you want to have a look at him a bit more in depth. But after a bit of a shaky start, he looked good. And, you know, the obvious uh, sort of comparison that's going to be made by a lot of people is is he the long-term successor yeah. for Teddy? I mean as things stand he's not a permanent Norwich player is he um, no. they would still have to fork out apparently nine million for him to make it permanent wouldn't they but certainly good signs from him there today yeah I mean very I mean Daniel Farker himself said on Friday when asked um, that he's the most natural sort of replacement for Alex and, and I think after that first 90 minutes in his position that he was recruited for let, let's not forget you know he's been doing a job at centre-back because of the state of Norwich's injuries in the area of the pitch, but for the first time in the Premier League, in his rightful position, yeah, I thought, I thought he did look um, very Tete-esque, you know, in terms of his awareness of where the danger was and breaking up play, and, and culminated by a fantastic. Yeah. I, I wrote in the point as a, probably a match-saving block from Lucas Torreira because that looked like he was goal-bound. In fact, I was just the pessimist that I am expecting the net to bulge when he sort of <laughs> roamed onto that about 18 yards out in stoppage time but not a bit of it brilliant block from Amadou and that encapsulated his performance okay if you want to be ultra critical maybe with the ball he doesn't quite have the technical um, polish of a, a Buendia or a Campwell or even a tribal probably but um I'm not too concerned about that because I think in that position uh, he does offer something a bit different and as you see against really good attacking players like Arsenal you need those type of players otherwise um, we have seen it at Cairo particularly you know the Villas and the Man United games 
when they're too easy to penetrate in the central areas of the pitch, then it's a very long afternoon and ultimately normally ends with too many goals conceded and no points on the board. So, yeah, uh, Daniel, more importantly, I asked him after the game and he was very impressed with him. He said, quote, he was central to that performance and, and I wouldn't disagree with that. So that is a very positive sign moving forward. Yeah, and another positive sign, Timo Pukki, his goal drought, as I suppose you'd have to call it in terms of his club game, not for Finland, of course, because he still kept scoring and kept enjoying success with them. But eight games without a goal, that's come to an end. Uh, and uh, it was started by Onel Hernandez on the left, Kenny McLean then finds Pukki, and, and the defending was strange, wasn't it? Louise and, um, and Mustafi both backed off him. Then he gets a little bit of... Um, little bit of luck, which he, he probably has deserved after having to, to wait so long. Um, speaking to him after the game, you, you could, you know, he openly said it, it felt amazing, I think he said, to, really? to, to finally sort of feel that feeling again in front of the Barclay. Yeah. So that's got to be a major positive for Norwich as well. Oh, all day long, yeah, because again, we all hope Norwich are able to do what they have set the bar for, which is to stay in this division. Any, any chance whatsoever hinges on that man continuing to score goals because he has already shown and re-emphasised it today. He does have that Premier League quality. He has made the step up. There's no question marks. I think this long period when he hasn't scored for his club, more a reflection on the team in general, how they weren't playing in attacking areas and the lack of support and the lack of decent supply to him. Um, I think he mentioned in that interview, you said, Dave, that Kenny McLean's uh, redeployment in these last two games has probably made quite a huge difference to the team Pukki and you could see that again certainly that first goal uh, the movement from Timu is one thing but to have a player like Kenny you can get his head up and slide the ball in as he did uh, must give so much confidence to Timu Pukki now that he knows as long as Kenny McLean is in and around him there's the makings of a very productive partnership and uh, yeah again I, I wouldn't overlook McLean's impact as well uh, both today and you know last week as well uh, really a lot of positives there and um, you know whereas going to Southampton to throw it a little bit further forward might have been a bit of a concern a bit of trepidation almost um, prior to Everton I think Norwich will now relish it yeah um, to be fair I mean Norwich went into the break with a 2-1 lead didn't they but Arsenal have been pretty good they had had chances uh, Onel Hernandez headed one off the line from Mustafi um, the big drama of the first half I mean We've, since the Manchester United game, it's come out, hasn't it, that VAR incorrectly awarded uh, that Dan James penalty against Ben Godfrey during the Manchester yeah. United game. And uh, we had more VAR fuss. So um, I'll come to you in a second with what Daniel sort of made of that. But just to sort of describe it again, Christoph Zimmerman is grappling with Matteo Guendouzi in the bot. Meza Ozil puts in a ball. Christoph Zimmerman's arm sort of goes above his head, which is the key, really. Um, strange position, unnatural position in terms of the, the rules. Can't quibble too much with the penalty, although it's maybe a little bit harsh, but his hand definitely hits the ball. Penalty's given. Tim Krull, of course, saves the penalty first time round. And then we realise there's a VAR check because some of the Norwich players have encroached. And then this all becomes sort of a bit new to us, doesn't it? In terms of one of the players who encroached was Max Ahrens. He was the man that cleared the ball. They all then rushed to Tim Krull to, to celebrate that great moment once again. And then the referee says, hang on, boys, 
<laughs> we're going to VAR. Aubameyang puts the ball in at the second attempt and, and Krull is absolutely furious, gets booked in amongst the sort of remonstrations, doesn't he? So um, here comes Connor um, and uh, we'll ask him what he thought about the VAR decision. But what, what did you make of it? And, and I suppose more importantly, what did what did Mr Farker make of it? Yeah, well, I mean, the, ele- the key element in all of that dissection there, Dave, is uh, that there appears to be... Uh, an encroachment of an active player as opposed to an inactive player. Not that VAR was convoluted enough, but uh, by all accounts, if it hadn't have been Max Ahrens who'd made the final clearance once the initial parry from Krull uh, in the box, because Max Ahrens wasn't the only player, the TV pictures clearly show, he wasn't the only either Norwich player or Arsenal player for that matter who were encroaching at the moment of impact. But if it had been any other player, then apparently the save would have stood. So... I just think it's ridiculous, and more to the point, so did Daniel, um, as he said. You know, he, for for him, they were sat down as head coaches and managers in the summer by presumably the VAR operations, and told if it was a clear and obvious, i.e., and he quoted, you know, if you were six yards inside the box or whatever, then th- that's getting called back. But in his view, part of Max Aaron's body was in at the moment of impact, part of it wasn't. Even if he'd stood behind the line 10 inches, Daniel said, he'd have still probably made it as well. So his argument would be, has that materially uh, affected um, that passage of play? And you would you would have to say he's, he's got a point there. He also pointed out, I've not looked back on it on the TV pictures, but he felt potentially, if that is the case, then uh, that uh, Lacazette might have been slightly in the box when the second penalty was retaken. But I guess if you apply the Premier League logic, then he didn't actively encroach so you see where I'm going with this it's, yeah. a, it's a complete farce but uh, then Daniel referenced there was an incident in the second half Arsenal's second equaliser where uh, a second ball appeared on the pitch Daniel said look that didn't impact on the goal materially but ultimately you know a ball came on the pitch why wasn't that uh, taken into account so you can see where we're going with this it's um, it's not. It's not as I tweeted at the time. It's not improving the product. It's not improving the entertainment level, um, and it's not streamlining the decision-making process. So, I think if you're a supporter of VAR, it's less and less easy to defend it at the minute. What What I think take I would take from this episode, purely and simply, is why are we? You know, I don't recall ever to this point of the season hearing about. This, uh, this aspect of a, an encroaching player who then becomes active in the play. That's the first I've heard of that today. I find that very strange that this isn't getting put out prior to games and and it's almost like the Premier League and the VAR people are having to scramble to uh, justify why decisions have been made during a game. That cannot be right. And uh, as I say, it leaves a bit of a sour taste. We know what the Norwich fans made of it. You could tell what they made of it in real time. They weren't happy. Uh, Daniel Farker certainly isn't happy and how that, to reiterate, re- improves the overall product, I do not know. No, um, I, I mean, Aubameyang, any any player, once you've seen your penalty saved or, or missed, you must feel a bit embarrassed to then be given a second chance. Um, and in the spirit of football, almost, it feels like you should just be dinking the ball to Krull and saying, no, this isn't right, you've saved the penalty, but obviously no one's going to do that, are they? Um, so, yeah, that wasn't a great deal of fun. Uh, just Connor has joined us now. Uh, just briefly, Connor, what was your sort of overall feelings on, on that incident? Oh, it's think it's nonsense to be honest with you um it's not and and look, i can only talk about the var that we've experienced this season and my mind keeps going back to that daniel james incident against yeah. manchester united yeah, which we just is, did just yeah, as you were walking right. in we just mentioned that <laughs> which you know has, has subsequently been ruled that they got that one wrong i think today they've, they've i mean it's it's ludicrous if, if we're nitpicking 
um, situations like that in the game, then we might we essentially might not bother having a referee. We we might as well have the game refereed from from Stockley Park and review every decision like that because it is literally going through it with a comb and and, and trying to find something and. For me, that's wrong because if the penalty, and we're talking about phases of play within this, if the penalty is the first phase, has Max Aaron's got a massive advantage in, in that? I don't think he has. Um, and it's, it's again, it comes down to the fact that if that penalty is scored by Aubameyang, we don't then go back and look at it for encroachment. And again, it's an issue that hasn't been communicated very well. And fundamentally, that's what it boils down to because... We had what probably a, a two-minute period where, where people didn't know what was going on after celebrating that that penalty save, and it just feels like we're extra- extracting the emotion out of a game really that, that is built upon that, and it's it's built upon moments like that, moments on penalty saves when people celebrate, and we're not just saying this because it's Norwich. I think if it was the other way around, it, it would be farcical as well because what what it's doing essentially is um, deconstructing the game in, into passages where um, it, it's becoming a farce and as, as Paddy touched there on there in, in, in his answer it's not improving the product it's not improving the product for fans it's okay it's creating more entertainment for us and, and, and for us to write about but ultimately it's not deflecting blame from the referees which it was designed to do it's not helping them it's re-refereeing and um, when you get to that element and we're being managed by computer games I think you you begin to lose why everyone fell in love with the first place I mean I had a, a text from my dad at half time who said he turned the Norwich game off because he was he was that disappointed in, in, in terms of the VAR decision and, and in terms of how that impacted the overall product of the game and I can understand it but, but equally we have to get the right decision and as Paddy said there I, I think defendants of, of VAR probably are, are struggling to defend it a little bit at the moment particularly after that Southampton incident last night sorry that was a bit of a rant but there you go <laughs> but then the, the VAR have implemented the VAR has implemented the laws correctly because that's the laws of the game so the issue really as quite often with VAR is that now that you're able to analyse things to the nth degree is that a lot of people are then looking at the laws of the game and thinking well do they actually fit with VAR because um, you know encroachment has always been a punishment with penalties isn't it before VAR, VAR existed um, but now when you can look at it like that um, it's it just doesn't feel right does it a bit like offsides when they're marginal by centimetres it it feels like the, the game is going to have to uh, uh, roll with it and adapt um, to that because you know people are talking about the need for sort of daylight or a significant part of the body to be in in front of the defender uh, for offside now that you're able to do it and I I think football as a wider I think FIFA are actually looking at trials with uh, computerised linesmen aren't they as in a sort of camera on a rail on the side of the pitch which would literally keep pace with the final uh, final defender uh, so that they could get that decision exactly right uh, along the line. So whether we'll ever see that actually come into football, I don't know. That may well be a totally unsuccessful trial. But football, if that's the case, then you don't want decisions being made on such tiny little margins because it just it's having too much of a negative effect on the game as a whole, isn't it? Agreed. And if I think about and, and I think about us and, and, and football supporters as a whole, the reason you fall in love with football is because, or, or used to anyway, in terms of you could play at a Premier League standard and you could play it in, the, in a park on a Sunday and the game would be the same um, in, in terms of, okay, quality and, and yeah. stuff is a bit different, obviously. But it's now it's even the championship in the Premier League. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but it, it's, it's the same game played by everyone and it's inclusive. Um, and, and VAR seems to be creating this separation for me between supporters and what's happening on the pitch. And 
you know what, what you've just said there. I think if we get to that levels of, of technology, then on a, the, and it's a it's a cliche. So the game's gone, isn't it? But it, it does feel like that a little bit because um, I mean, if I look at uh, Sanchez Flores, who lost his job today, he's, he's lost his his job because of a VAR decision that they've subsequently admitted they got wrong in in terms of Southampton attacker using. Um, using his arm, which is a rule they implemented this year for VAR to try and make Campbell's black and white, and yet they've not given they've not been given the correct camera angle until until ten minutes after the incidents happened. So it it just feels like to me so far behind where it needs to be at the moment, and in, in terms of the Premier League and in terms of elite level, and and this isn't just because. Um, it's it's impacted a Norwich game because I'm only talking about my experience of it in, in a stadium and how the supporters have responded to it and I think they've made very clear through the chants uh, I think the players have been very vocal <laughs> and admitting that, that they're not a massive fan of it and it just creates a massive lull for two minutes and for me football is is instant and it's emotional and it seems to be intent on sort of stripping all of that back and, and getting clarity and, and yeah absolutely we need clarity and we need accuracy but at what cost? I, th- I think there's a, there's a good parody to be done on the basis of what you just said, that, said there. Maybe soccer soccer AM to have a look at it. Someone to be the v- VAR on the side of a Sunday league game and just all of a sudden pop out of their car or something like, right, VAR has made this decision. <laughs> Maybe uh, some kind of uh, advertising uh, guru can take that on. From true crime to football, Brexit to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archant. Norwich did go into the break with the lead, though. Uh, Todd Cantwell, who uh, this I thought this was a really good goal. And as, as somebody who's watched Todd playing football since he was a young man, since 16, playing FA Youth Cup games and under-23s and stuff, at those levels, you used to see him just his attacking game would just flow you could see his intelligence his creativity that he was on a sort of a different level to a lot of the players that he was coming up against and this goal reminded me of that in that he just looked so comfortable he did it without thinking as soon as Hernandez gets the ball back to him just a deft little touch and perfect to open up the chance the shooting opportunity and then he buried it four Premier League goals 14 games into the Premier League season. That is a heck of a return for a 21-year-old man um, or young lad from Deerham who, you know, let's be honest, second half of last season wasn't getting into the team because he wasn't playing well enough. He is really, really taking his chance, isn't he? All, all day long. I mean, it's phenomenal when you break it down. Four in 14 at this level, the best level, well, best club league in the world. Um, and he doesn't look out of place. And that's the thing now, I think. It, you know, his strides, I mean, it's 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 quite... in. It's quite intuitive, I think, to look at him and then contrast, oh. as we have done, Marco Stieperman, Emi Buendia. Uh, you could throw one or two others in that Norwich squad from last season who haven't made the leap, haven't looked anywhere near as comfortable as him, and yet one who wasn't possibly, as you say rightly, Dave, um, front line, front and centre of that championship title winning side, certainly down the stretch, yet over the summer it's come back and, and he, he looks a Premier League player all day long. and put that to Daniel after the game Daniel as he always does with young players says let's not get too carried away we, you know we're, we're a fraction of the way into his career we need he needs to continue on this path but if he does and if he's got the right you know mindset then there's a player there no two ways about it um, and that's just natural you know it's not just a finish it's actually if you watch he holds his position on the edge of the box waiting to create the space for Campwell sorry for Hernandez to throw the ball back to him you know he's not gone headlong into the box and then 
took the ball under pressure from players. You know, his game intelligence is what sets him apart from a lot of Norwich's midfield at the moment. And uh, the caveat, of course, I mean, in the second half, he tries a trick on the edge of his own box um, and was lucky that the Arsenal move then subsequently broke down. So I think that just... In the interest of bringing things down a peg or two, you know, there are areas of his game he still has to learn, but oh, yeah. the raw material absolutely is there. And, um, you know, if he continues in that vein, again, I'll put this in the point as, you know, before a ball was kicked downfield, that crop of him, Aaron's, Aaron, Lewis, Godfrey, maybe even Buendia, I don't think too many would have said, okay, by this stage of the season, Campwell would be front runner in that little pack, but he is. And if he continues on this, Path, then come the end of the season it might be Cantwell they're talking about as the pick of this bunch yeah very good and it's good to see uh, him getting in front of goal because that's where he seems to thrive uh, so two and a half time uh, Zimmerman survives another sort of handball uh, instant early uh, second half doesn't he where it clearly hits his hand but in opposition to the penalty that he did concede his hand wasn't in an unnatural position so that didn't even appear to go to a VAR check that was uh, that was clear although that did leave the Arsenal players quite angry didn't it uh, Arsenal equalised I think it was 57th minute wasn't it um, corner comes in uh, Tom Tribal doesn't quite get the header clear Mustafi manages to nudge it on and Aubameyang lashes it in for fairly close range Tim Krul not much opportunity to uh, stop that one and that's 2-2 and um, well at that point we're thinking where's this going to go but there aren't any further goals but Norwich certainly had big chances um, Ibrahim Amadou as we've already spoken about was uh, very good his uh, tackle on Xhaka um, sent or contributed to McLean going clean through Burnt Leno made a great save tipping his shot onto the post uh, Todd Cantwell fired just wide um, after um, Pookie got a cross in that was one that he really probably should have been scoring to be to be honest but it was only just wide and then right at the end uh, as, as we've already talked about that brilliant block from Amadou which um, which preserved the 2-2 draw so overall as as you weren't in the room right at the start of this conversation Connor just overall how big do you feel this result is how uh, much of a contributor is it to the positive feel and, and, and how, how confident are you feeling about these two games coming up this week Southampton away and, and then Sheffield United at home um, in a week's time more confident than I did two weeks ago I think um, what we've seen is a, re- a real shift in in mood, I think uh, there was plenty of, of Norwich City supporters after that well, Watford game, after that Watford defeat, wondering at where this season will go, and probably wondering how many points Norwich will get on the board. And yet, two games later, we're, we're sitting here probably um, thinking a little bit differently about this week. And that's credit to the way Norwich City have adapted. I think to, to the Premier League, they're much more competitive. They stay in games longer. They're more robust, uh, more resilient, and, and have actually. Uh, managed to discover a balance throughout the team and it, it feels like they defend as a collective and attack a, as a bit more of a collective not totally there yet but certainly have an attacking edge to them and um, in terms of their game plan today I thought they executed it wonderfully and they seem to have struck upon something that is a real template for them to take forward and for me what what it does do this result today is, is just build on that momentum they, they started last week and they go into that Southampton game with, with a genuine belief and a genuine chance to get a positive result on the board again and if they do that then we're looking at that Sheffield United game next week I think they're seven unbeaten on the road after um, after today um, and we're looking at that again in a completely different light and it's amazing what a little run can do in seasons and I think this is the first time unless I'm going to be corrected that they've managed to pick up points in, in successive games so that shows to me just how well they've adapted in, in the last couple of weeks and 
Absolutely, you can, you can point towards Christoph Zimmern, but I think it's his wider impact in terms of that defensive structure. And if they if they can can I suppose the word now is consistency, really, isn't it? If they can take that on to the next two games in particular, and also over the Christmas period, then uh, things could be looking a lot rosier come January. And I think we all hope they do because um, after the lack of luck they've had at the start of this season, they they could really do with, with a run to put them back in the mix come January. Yeah, I was really pleased with the sort of balance between Hernandez, McLean, and yep. uh, Campwell as that attacking midfield three. Mm-hmm. That just seems to be working that bit better. And you know, Steepman is sort of firmly out in the cold a little bit at the moment. Of course, Mario Vrancic is back fit, but he's not getting his opportunities because they're playing well. I wonder whether Vrancic and Amadou could be quite nice because I didn't think Tribal quite did it today. You know, some good stuff, but him and Amadou didn't quite seem to work as, as a partnership. Um, that might be one that we, we get a glimpse at at Southampton. But the, the most important thing that I think has changed in these last two games is that they've realised the defensive minimums that they've got to be hitting, the, the minimum levels that they have got to um, show if they're going to keep teams from you know just running over them, which has been happening. You know, some of those results that were only 2-0 could have quite easily been, been bigger defeats if it weren't for Tim Krull. Um, along the way, so they've managed to stabilise, and that word you said there, consistency. That's that's really what we um, what we've hopefully seen a hint of today that they've got that they can build on. So, if they can get four points from this week, however that may come, I think that will be an absolutely cracking return. Um, as you did mention, uh, Watford sat Flores after that defeat to Southampton, and there is discussion that it might be Chris Hewton who's uh, mm. going to get that gig, which would um, put a, a fresh complexion on this sort of survival battle, wouldn't it, Pat? Certainly would. He certainly would get them organised. I know that yeah. uh, defensively, and uh, yeah, I'm not sure I see that as the right kind of fit in terms of the s- set of players they've got. They've got some. Not sure how Delafeo would uh, react to Chris Hewton's coaching, but yeah. uh, for an example, uh, but what he is is uh, I mean, he kept Brighton up, didn't he? Um, and then lost his job. Didn't quite manage it the second time round with Norwich, but. Um, yeah, it's a bit of an uninspired. I mean, I love, love the bloke, great to deal with when he was here at Norwich, but it's a little bit of an uninspiring, almost a safe choice. But I guess if you're the Watford top brass now, it's survive at, at, at any cost. You know, that's now the position they're in. It the be all and end all is finishing 17 and above. Um, and they maybe think Chris Hewton, steady hand on the tiller, just get them through the rest of the season and then possibly look to change it again next summer. But it wouldn't, in terms of Norwich's. Situation that wouldn't unduly concern me if he went in there because I don't think we'd suddenly some, see some great leap forward. I think what you'd see is they'd be a bit more organised and they might start to eke out a few more results. But I still would feel that they'd be firmly in the mix for the remainder of the season. So um, yeah, that'll be an interesting one if it comes to pass. And uh, it's just a shame we've already played them. It'll be a while since we meet up with Chris at Vicarage Road. Oh, what, a, what an opportunity that was uh, missed that night, yeah. all from that. Uh, horrible moment uh, early doors against Watford um, if Norwich were to win at Southampton Wednesday there is a slim chance they could get out of the bottom three isn't there but it would need Everton to take a bit of a hiding at Liverpool as well but the, it, when you look at the table they are within reach of quite a few teams now it's such a congested mid-table if you know it, for instance they manage to get two wins this week which is going to be a, a big ask it's possible definitely possible but um they would move up quite a few places quite quickly. So um, if they can, can get that consistency, it would be great. But Southampton, they have actually 
been since that horrible 9 0 night against Leicester, um, they've I haven't got them to hand, but they have been a lot more stable, haven't they? they against Manchester City, they were very much in the game. Obviously, they've got that win against Watford. Hasn't who seems to have clung on, but I guess if they were to lose at home to Norwich on Wednesday, that could well be the, the sort of um, the, the last straw. Yeah, I think so. Um, and they're a, they're a club, aren't they, who, who've been a model in, in, in terms of championship clubs looking to, to get up to the Premier League and sustain themselves. And it feels like the, the wheels have come off slightly. And I suppose that when your model is to develop players and then sell them on, you, you're basically putting a, a massive uh, putting a, a massive amount of trust in, in your recruitment to find the next group who, who are going to come through and make money. And eventually that's going to fall short. And Considering, I think Norwich fans would probably like Norwich to do the same in terms of uh, an academy prospect coming up, doing really well for the club, and then selling him on. Um, there's quite nice parallels there, I think, a little bit. But it, do, it does feel like they've lost their way a little bit. I think Hassan Hootel seems to be well liked still on, on on the south coast, so he's got that for him. And, and they're obviously going to be buoyed after a win against Watford. And it feels so massive because if, if any side does come away from St Mary's with three points then it, it could really be defining for, for how they um, go on particularly through, through the festive period if not for the season because um, whoever doesn't is, is going to be if one side beats beats the other then, then that's going to leave Watford and another um, cut adrift somewhat um, dependent on results elsewhere of course with, with Everton and, and Villa as well so it, it does feel massive um, I think Southampton will, will be keen to to build on that win. I don't think they were they were fantastic against Watford, but by all accounts they, they scraped through that one. And yeah, I think as as you say, if if they do fall short against Norwich on Wednesday, then we'll be looking at a, another new manager in the Premier League. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I think we're going to have to wrap it there because we've got plenty uh, to get on with. Uh, of course, we have the AGM Thursday night as well. We've got loads of that for you to if you haven't already had a look through. And um, we interviewed Stuart Webber, Zoe Ward, and Ben Kensel after that. So head over to the Pink and YouTube channel if you want to uh, reflect on the AGM a little bit. Uh, and of course, all the reaction and analysis from the Arsenal game is at Pinken.com already. Uh, reaction from Kenny McLean, team. Pookie on the way as well. Uh, you two uh, are heading off to Southampton without me, aren't you? I'm uh, having a week off. It's uh, my girlfriend's very selfishly having her thirtieth birthday in midweek, so I'm not making the trip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, but make sure you follow Paddy and Connor's uh, updates uh, from that one. But um, can I just say, Dave? Bear in mind, we started with the Tony Frussell possibly never seen him again. If they get this win, then you know you might be on the slippery slope as well, mate. <laughs> I was there at Everton <laughs> and Man City. No, 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 no. You, got, you got more credit in the bank than that man, so possibly yeah, we'll allow one game. <laughs> right, well, that'll do. Thank you very much for uh, listening today, and uh, we will catch up with you soon.